0: Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church online. My name is Worth. If you are new, welcome. Thanks for joining us. If not, welcome back. And before we get too far into this, if you're watching this on YouTube, maybe for the first time, maybe you're a regular, don't forget to subscribe as well as hit the like icon below. This will really help out our channel, spread the good news of Jesus. So, uh, hope you do that. Okay. This week, we're going to tackle a bit more of the story of Jacob. And what we're looking at this time is kind of one of my favorite parts of the story because it's really about us. We find ourselves in this story. It's it's for those of us who find ourselves stuck kind of repeating the same patterns of behavior, the same kind of uh, bad thinking. But before we dive in, I, I want to say something. As a pastor, I've run into this a lot. Uh, so I want to introduce this story today by saying, that when people come to chat with me about their stuff in their life, over time I've come to the conclusion that the majority of people don't really wanna work on themselves or get well. And I know that can seem a bit depressing or strange, but experience tells me that this is the truth. And it makes me think of uh, many things in scripture, but one interaction we find in John 5, in particular between Jesus and the lame man, where Jesus asks a really profound question, which is this. Do you want to get well? And a lot of people have come to me over the years to get pastoral advice for their life. And what I've come to the conclusion is is they don't really want to get well. What they want is for me to justify why it's okay to stay broken. We want to deny that piece of ourselves and be okay with it. But what I would suggest is that for many of us, the places in our lives where we keep wanting to perpetually maybe make the same poor choice over and over, there's a piece of that in you. That piece in you, God wants to use it and redeem it in you. That's the very thing that God wants to redeem. And so the goal of our growth in Christ is to love about ourselves what God loves about us as much as God loves it. And I think for many of us, the trick of spiritual growth isn't so much about understanding how much of a sinner we are, but it's about truly understanding how sacred we are, how, how holy you are. And this is the battle that we'll see Jacob face in this next story. That's what this has to do with in this next section of the story. He's about to have a confrontation with every bad choice he's made. And he's going to try to usurp and be crafty and manipulate once again. Working an angle is his modus operandi. But he won't be able to wriggle out of this one. He's going to have to own up to his mistakes and face them so let's jump in from genesis chapter 32 verse 1 it says this jacob also went on his way and the angels of god met him and when jacob saw them he said this is the camp of god so he named that place manahan mahaname jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother esau on the land of seir the country of edom why did he do that well because god has told him to go home where esau is and who the last time he saw him when the last time it was he saw him Esau was really serious about killing Jacob. So verse 4, he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and remained here till now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Well, why is Jacob saying he's got all this stuff? Well, it's because he's afraid. He's like, here, take all my stuff so you won't hurt me. In other words," He's being crafty. He's working in angle because that's who Jacob is and it's like he can't stop behaving this way. And here's the thing for us when it comes to our spiritual formation. We all have something like Jacob does and the goal is not to kind of defeat it or kill it but to understand it and then figure out how to use it within the healthy boundaries and parameters that God has set up for our lives. And when you can do that, You can maximize its potential. And in Jacob's case, we're talking about his craftiness. I'm not talking about uh, obvious destructive behaviors that are antithesis to the way of life Jesus shows us. Those are obviously, we're not going to use those. But in Jacob's case, this craftiness, he could use this type of intelligence in a wonderful way for God's kingdom. But when he uses it for his own agenda and purposes, it quickly sours and it gets contorted and ugly. And this is the same way it is for us. We use something wonderful that God has gifted us with just for us. We keep it to ourselves. We're selfish with it. We think, why would God put this in me if not for my own benefit? But then we know we should also be using our giftedness and talents and experience and resources more effectively for God and his purposes, his kingdom. So sometimes when this realization happens, someone walks into my office or they call me on the phone and it goes something like this. Look, I know I'm just a teacher, but I need a day off from kids. So is it okay if I don't work in the kids ministry or my work has me so busy? Is it okay if I just come on Sunday and not be part of a kinfolk group or look, I'm really good at business and I want to give my money, but I don't want to volunteer or just the opposite. I'm really good at hospitality. So I want to volunteer, but I don't want to give or whatever it is people even sometimes hate what God has put in them or wired them for because they can't reconcile how to use it for God's kingdom and for themselves or to give it up for themselves and only do it for God's kingdom. It's just this mess, and and people are trying to figure out a way to say it's okay. Well, verse six says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, "We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him." It's just me! In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Well, this is pretty smart. And here's an observation. I think most of us in this situation wouldn't do what he does. We'd probably dig in and prepare to defend ourselves if an army of 400 people is coming towards us. But what's really interesting about Jacob is he doesn't think Uh, this way. In fact, he doesn't ever go to war with anybody in the stories. It's just not part of who he is. So verse 9 says, and then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you've said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So what I want you to see here, do you see that even with God, Jacob is working an angle. So in the following verses, Jacob takes a bunch of his herds and flocks and his servants, and he sends them on ahead of him in groups, in a few different groups, as a gift to his brother Esau. And then he spends his night In his camp, so he's basically giving up everything he's worked for in order to survive. He is a master at this kind of strategy and manipulation. I'm going to send all these groups before I come, and then we get to this really interesting part where Jacob wrestles with God, quote unquote, in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Now he's already sent his servants and flocks. And what he could have done was something maybe like this kind of galvanized the, the forces and, and encourage them. But no, now, now he's even willing to send his wives and sons ahead of him. What a yellow-bellied cowardly jerk. He takes everyone who is basically more vulnerable than him and uses them like a bargaining chip or a shield to protect himself. This is who he is, using his craftiness for his own gains and selfish purposes. And then we see this, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, it's revealed later on in the text that this man is God. And Burroughs off to Rio. Watch the single leg attack, builds up, shakes him off, attacks him. The... But this is incredible, really. We just watched, uh, I mean, for most of us, we just watched the Olympics in Japan. You get to see wrestlers go at it, among other different sports. But I want to think about this for a minute, because we're talking about wrestling. How long is your typical wrestling match? And it says here that Jacob wrestled with this man until daybreak, which means that he wrestled with him all night long. In other words, Jacob will work really hard to survive, tooth and nail. But really what we see here is kind of a window that gives a view into why God would use a a guy like this in the first place. Because why would God God use a guy like this? That's the question I keep asking. It's what we should all be asking. And ultimately, this is a guy who's willing to give everything for a cause that he believes in. The only problem is that right now, the only cause he believes in is himself. So verse 25, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And Why does he want a blessing? Well, hasn't he always been seeking out blessings and working an angle to get them? Yeah, yeah, he has. That's what he's always been doing. Think about it, this is God he's talking to. So if he gets a blessing, he's basically obligating God to make good on whatever he says. Verse 27 says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. To which we're all kind of like, whoa, if you've been in the church for like 20 minutes, uh, you know, that's awesome. And some of you probably heard teachings about the significance of the power that's held within names for this culture that long ago. So this is akin to Abram's name becoming Abraham, etc. In this case, Israel means wrestles with God, which is very interesting because that wrestling bit seems to be a prerequisite of the kind of people that God wants to use. Not that they're blindly following him around like robots what we see here is God wants to use people who are willing to go toe-to-toe with him and say, look, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't know what the heck is going on. Why do you want me to do this thing? Why have you called me to live this way? And they're willing to say all that, to stand up to God even. But then those people, even though they do that, they're faithful to what God wants to do anyway. And those are the kind of people that God wants to use. And this seems really, seems to be really, really important to God. Because walking out your God-given agenda for life is really hard. And for some people, it comes at a great cost. And God's not asking you to have it all figured out. He just wants you to be willing to duke it out with him and then trust him anyway. Those are the people who manifest God's kingdom for him on earth as it is in heaven. So then in verse 29, Jacob asks God to tell him his name, which is basically a power grab on Jacob's part. Like, if I know your name, I'll have some power over you. But God doesn't tell him his name, but he does bless Jacob. So that's the Jacob story for this time. He's someone who's always trying to to manipulate the situation and connive. He's working the angle for his own advantage. He even tries to wheel and deal and strike a bargain with God, which is totally unlike us, right? And he uses his gifting and calling and the things that ultimately the creator gave to him And he extends them in the wrong direction, which ends up being destructive. It's coercive. It usually means using somebody else for your own ends. And then you don't really care about what happens to them in the process, either before or during or after whatever it is you're using them for. And that's an example of extending this in the wrong direction. There's plenty of examples that we could look at in the life of Jacob, which we already have. But if God can get a hold of somebody like that, what kind of legacy could they leave if they used that gifting for his purposes and that's the question for us today where are you in your understanding of god's agenda for you and your life with the gifting and the calling and the abilities and the resources that he's given you i mean we've talked about this before but everybody has a design everybody has a thing that god made them to do the scriptures tell us this here's just two examples for you from psalm 139 it says god knit you together in your mother's womb he put you together and Proverbs 16, 25 says that God marks the steps of a man. And if God is as smart as we say he is, then those two verses, I think they're connected to each other. That God makes you to be something in the world and he creates a path for you, walk that is the ideal way to maximize the thing that he made you to do. It's almost as if when you were conceived, God looked over the whole world and he asked himself, what does the, the world need right now? And then he made you because you're not a mistake. You're a gift that God gave the world. That's who you are. And when we start to get that, then we begin to understand that this thing God made us to be is good. God is not opposed to you wrestling with him, asking questions, working it out. In fact, I think he's willing to go toe-to-toe with you to help you see how you, how you can use what he's given you. It'll change you. If you enter in to that wrestling match with him. Now, let's look at the reunion between Jacob and Esau before we finish this up. In Genesis 33, the text says, and Esau runs to meet him, runs to meet Jacob. And that's pretty profound because the patriarch of a group in that culture, the old man, the patriarch, he never runs. (laughs) But a lot of time has gone by. Esau has maybe been doing some wrestling of his own during the last 20 years that they haven't seen each other. Maybe Esau has already figured out the values of God, the value of hospitality in a way that's still basically completely foreign to Jacob at this point. A side note, did Jesus ever tell a story about a guy who had two sons and the younger one left and then came home and the dad ran to meet him? Yeah... Jesus' parable is a retelling of this very story. And the point of both of these stories is this. God loves it when jacked up, lost, broken people come home. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it said in various ways, I've got to clean myself up first before I come to church. Nope. Nope on a rope. Just come home and then let Jesus clean you up. It'll probably take some time, but he'll help. You do not have to stay away. In the text of Genesis 33, Esau is like, what the heck is all this about, Jacob? The flocks, the herds, the servants, the gifts. And Jacob's, Jacob's basically like, look, isn't it obvious? I don't want you to kill me. And Esau's basically responds, Do you remember the blessing I was given way back when that I would have a lot of stuff? Look, man, I have enough. Keep your stuff. So it really does seem that Esau has already wrestled through all of the junk that Jacob should have done. He should have wrestled through it, but he's never gotten around to it. Esau has figured out how to move on, how to move forward, how to become whole on the inside within his heart, how to forgive. And Jacob still has a lot to discover and lean into with this. So what does this mean for us? I think so many of us are sitting in the position of Jacob in this story, where we think that the feeling of just being who we are It's kind of enough to depress us and and beat us up. We keep making the same mistakes, the same situations in life, the same unhealthy relationships, the same whatever it is. We keep coming to God uh, with these things and and then come with him with this stuff with like bargaining chips, putting it up as a defense, as a shield, as, as, as an excuse. And really God is like, let's wrestle over this. Fine, let's wrestle over it. But I want to let you know that ultimately I'm the one who changes names. I'm the one who changes destinies. I'm the one who wins all the battles. And what I'm doing all this for is to show you I love you, and I want to bless you, and I want, to help, I want you to help me establish a kingdom of blessing others and extending my love to others, to the ends of the earth. And the implications of this are quite simple, yet really profound. And I'll leave them with you now as we close out for this week. First, God doesn't need you to fix yourself up or get it together before you are useful for him, and with him, to partner with him. And the scriptures bear this out in this story and countless others. Believe it, even in your mess, God is with you, he can redeem you, and he wants to partner with you. Next, just like Esau was there for Jacob, there are people in your life who will point you toward and invite you into God's best thing for you. So instead of getting defensive or bargaining or throwing up shields, try to listen to them and take them to heart. And last, let's be honest about who we are, because real honesty about who and what we are will take down barriers and will open doors to reconciliation and real community in our lives. Until next time, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church Online. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.